Hello, everyone, and welcome back. My name is Savannah Lane. I'm excited to touch base with a wonderful guest we have here today, Dr. Mark Merowitz, who is a professor at SUNY Maritime College and, of course, THO Advisory Board member, esteemed guest we have here today. Dr. Mark Merowitz, thank you so much for joining us today. It's a pleasure. Looking forward to it. <clears throat> Now, we have so much potential topics to, to really dive into, but, you know, with the, the recent developments, obviously, in the change in administration, I kind of want to focus on, um, you know, that change as well as how it impacts uh, the U.S.-Turkey bilateral relationship and the Middle East in general. So how must the Biden administration sort of recalibrate in order to adjust to this new reality of Turkey and its changing role in the Middle East? Well, I mean, this is an uncertainty at the present time because we really don't know exactly where the Biden administration is going to go. You can't always depend on what the candidate says during the election. Uh, we get something of an inkling of it from the uh, confirmation hearing for Anthony Blinken, who is now the Secretary of State, and his answers to questions related to Turkey. And um, I would say that um, Blinken's calling uh, Turkey a so-called strategic partner and some of the senators calling uh, or criticizing Turkey as an ally of the United States indicates to us about recalibrating. I'm not so sure where that's going, but it mm -hmm. looks like the relationship is, um, is going to be a bit, could be a bit bumpy. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that's not going to be the case. But at least the, uh, if you want to get the vibes, if you will, from the Senate, uh, Senators, Senator Menendez is coming in as the chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Uh, it was kind of a bipartisan feeling even in that hearing. And the Secretary of State himself, um, it seems like there's, there's some difficult issues that need to be addressed. However, mm -hmm. I would say mm -hmm. that the primary issue right now uh, that the Biden administration is facing is the pandemic and domestic issues, uh, right. and that's where the focus is going to be uh, now. So I don't, be I, I don't believe that from the executive branch there will come a lot of um, upending of our good friendship with Turkey as an ally, but we see some of these other reverberations from Secretary of State and Senate, and so we have to be very wary or concerned about them and, mm -hmm. and keep a lookout for them. But on the other hand, uh, the, the immediate issue is to fix the pandemic, end the pandemic, uh, fix the economy, and get America going again. And uh, that, that will require, I think, most of the focus and attention of the incoming Biden administration. And I don't right. think they will be enthusiastic about any um, you know, foreign... Uh, conflicts or difficulties and try to keep those stable and friendly. We saw that now with Russia because Biden spoke with Putin and, mm -hmm. you know, they're renewing this uh, nuclear treaty. I mean, uh, the one that uh, President Trump pulled out of and they're yes. going to some multilateral uh, arrangements again, WHO, Paris Climate Change, uh, you know, so there, there's a tenor to it. Uh, it sounds, it seems that it sounds a lot like the um, Obama administration, uh, that we'll have to see if it's the same thing or not. But in terms of conflict and conflict resolution, I think the main focus will be at home. Uh, sort of quoting uh, Richard Haas's book, foreign policy begins at home. Mm -hmm. First, we have to yes. fix the home front and then move out and deal with these other issues. However, 
um, we have to be very um, circumspect about this because it could it could change appreciably again because mostly because of the Senate and the House and where Congress and what page they're on regarding Turkey and that could be problematic. <clears throat> Right. No. And, and I think you bring up a good point here in the role of the congressional aspect, which I want to get to later in this conversation. But, you know, focusing back in on the U.S.-Turkey relationship, it's no question that Trump had a very, President Trump had a very unique relationship with Erdogan. Thus, U.S.-Turkey relationship was very unique at that time, both strained in some ways and, and successful in others. So how has the Trump legacy impacted this relationship moving forward, uh, both personally and in terms of foreign policy? You mentioned kind of this continuation of Obama-era policy. So are we going to kind of see that status quo return, or will it be, as you mentioned, more of that focus on domestic before we address anything further? Well, that's a great question. And again, um, it's, it's an unknown. However, I would say this. Um, uh, the Trump foreign policy, I think you see Biden you know, with a pile of executive orders on his first day to undo everything Trump did with executive orders mm-hmm. uh, is indicative of the direction that they're taking. Now, um, what we saw in the Trump administration was President Trump really acting as a blocking factor in terms of sanctions. Uh, but at the end of the Trump administration, President Trump imposed sanctions on the Katza, and that's because he had to, in, his, in essence, mm-hmm. under the National Defense Authorization Act, which actually put in a provision mandating sanctions. Uh, they picked right. five out of the 12 of the menu. Those five are perhaps not as punitive as some others might have been, but they're still problematic for the Turkish economy. The question is, when we enter into and the Biden administration goes full force, uh, will it, um, you know, uh, increase those sanctions, add other sanctions? And that will also depend on what happens in Turkey and Turkey's foreign policy in terms of how it handles the S-400. So, again, uh, the Trump, uh, you know, having a meeting with uh, five senators and having them sit with President Erdogan and criticizing him and all of that, but yet not imposing sanctions and blocking sanctions, Mm-hmm. I don't know if, if, if we're going to see a repeat of that. I, 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 would, I would think not, uh, because, again, uh, what uh, Biden wants to do is show that he's the not Trump, not to use a, right. to use a, a, mm-hmm. a, a variation of the never Trump. He certainly is a never <laughs> Trump, but he's not Trump, and therefore he doesn't want to do anything that Trump did. And, look, the Abraham Accords in the, in the Middle East, they mm-hmm. seem to be uh, – seem to be um, – um, that Anthony Blinken and others were um, were favorable towards it, but again, that will unfold, and again, it will be the Senate and the Congress that might push back on those. So, again, the whole Trump legacy that you describe is 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 in abeyance, and particularly because of what happened in the Capitol on January sixth, the the right. idea of a Trump legacy becomes muddied and muddled because of those unfortunate events. So. So again, I think Biden wants to, you know, forge his own path. He said that he doesn't want to be Trump. He doesn't want to follow, follow Trump's policies. But maybe some of the things that were done uh, will, um, you know, that Trump did might continue uh, and might be uh, looked on somewhat favorably. But it's impossible to know at the present time. Certainly. Well, I mean, you bring up really great points there in terms of. Uh, Biden really setting his own agenda. We see, you know, as you mentioned, the executive order's first day kind of hitting the ground running there and definitely separating 
any sort of semblance of continuation of Trump policies. Uh, but you know, Biden has been very outspoken both on the campaign trail in previous decades of public service, but especially in his run for presidential office and his bid to really put what he dubbed and obviously detailed as the democratic values back in the U.S strategy for foreign policy. So how might these values be met when approaching, uh, you know, that relationship with Turkey? Obviously, Turkey brands itself as sort of that democratic beacon in the Middle East, but many critics have seen that sort of uh, slipping away and not as, um, you know, hopeful or optimistic of that uh, legacy and title. So what might uh, that impact or how might that impact the U.S.-Turkey relationship or just the, the Turkey relationship in general in the Middle East as well? So first of all, I think that's a very significant point. Uh, Senator Menendez talked about it in the hearing in terms of uh, you know Turkey and being critical of Turkey. He's the incoming foreign, rela- foreign relations mm-hmm. committee chair. But if Biden wants to have a democracy summit, uh, you know if that's the way he's going, I mean, I quite, I, you know, again, I don't question the motive of it. I just don't. I just hope that Biden doesn't want to become, you know, President Carter II, another, re, you know, a re, right. uh, you know, a revisiting of Carter and making the whole policy about human rights. Because human rights is very important. So I think it is correct that um, there there are critics, and those critics in a democracy summit might have additional criticism. But I think the main focus right now on the bilateral relationship is on the Middle East region and where Turkey as a NATO ally fits in that um, situation and the S-400. And that, to me, stands out as the main issue uh, between the U.S. and uh, Turkey at the present time and whether or not uh, Turkey will retain the S-400 or whether it will. I don't, again, I don't know what they're planning, but maybe right. there's a way to go back to the patriots. Uh, President Trump blamed President Obama for not giving Turkey the Patriots. So maybe there's a way that President Biden Biden can give them the Patriots. They don't need to go on the route of the S-400. I don't believe that it is in Turkey's benefit or good for Turkey's future to have a relationship with Russia. It needs to have a relationship. It's it's doing certain things. I mean, obviously with Russia, but the United States has has interactions with Russia, but not to have um, strategic um, systems like the S-400 and then acquiring other systems like that. Um, you know, I, uh, Turkey's point of view is that it's an independent country. Yes, it is, but it's also NATO ally and a great friend mm-hmm. of the United States. In order to maintain that, there has to be great co- uh, concern about the S-400. Uh, so I think that one uh, caused a bit of uh, concern, and maybe that uh, exacerbated or promoted more the quicker imposition of the sanctions when the Turkey tested that in October 2000. I think they, they. I guess it was October that they um, they tested it, and mm-hmm. uh, maybe they maybe they were thinking that that Trump would win the election. I, I don't know what the motivation was, but Turkey has fought, I believe, um, 18 or 19 wars with Russia. I might have my numbers wrong, but um, they've had a lot of conflicts with Russia. And uh, if you look at what Russia's doing today particularly with Navalny and with the suppression of protests and so forth and the hacking in the U.S. elections. I think it's a little unseemly for Turkey, the friend of the U.S. and NATO ally, to be, you know, um, going going forward, particularly with strategic relations in this sense, 
And and furthermore, um, you know, there's concern, you know, that Russians are building a nuclear reactor at Kuyu, uh, pipelines and all these other things, which could cause rifts between the United States and Turkey. And those are to be avoided. And the way to avoid it is to seek a good relationship. To me, the path forward for Turkey, the best mm-hmm. path forward is as an ally of the United States and as a NATO ally, there is, that is where, in my opinion, so in my opinion, I believe that's where Turkey will prosper and benefit and, 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 and have a very bright future. The future with Russia, I can't predict that one. I'm not an astrologer. I can't figure it out, but I can't think, it, <laughs> right. I can't think, it's, I can't think it's positive <laughs> based on looking at their past and current behavior. I just don't see it. You know, when uh, Turkey, yeah. you know, uh, Ru- Russia has really had a sort of um, kind of uh, up and down relationship with Turkey and Syria and otherwise, and um, the relationship with the U.S. has been challenging. But at the end of the day, I'll, p- I'll place my bets on the United States as the better partner, uh, the one that that really can can help Turkey achieve its goals and its um, right. and a good future for its people what I think. Right, absolutely. Well, and one last question before we run out of time here. I really, uh, you know, want to focus in on the NATO component. There's no doubt that the U.S.-Turkey relationship is a critical component of the NATO alliance as well. So talk to us a little bit about uh, what we might see from the Biden administration in terms of, uh, you know, the NATO alliance. Will we see continued criticism for burden sharing? Uh, where, where does that conversation move forward in terms of the foreign alliances and, and collaboration with organizations like NATO? You know, I, I never, I, I guess I've been thinking about NATO and trying to understand where they fit in and, and, and really what, I understand the point that they, you know, the, the NATO members were, um, were pressured to add more of a contribution to their own defense and all of that, but as a practical matter, if you look at NATO, I, I, don't, I just don't know how many times it's actually acted um, in respect of its, um, as I say, raison d'etre, its main purpose. Um, and uh, a good example of that is uh, the invasion in Crimea and Ukraine and so forth. What did NATO do about that? It did nothing about that. Uh, so as a counter to Russia, I think it, uh, NATO needs to be strengthened um, appreciably to carry out its function. I, 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 mean, I was looking also at Article 5. I don't think it's been invoked. I think it was invoked actually once by Turkey, if I'm not mistaken, mistaken in connection with a terrorist attack, but maybe I'm, I'm not remembering my details, and also 9-11. But other than that, you know, in terms of its main uh, purpose in life, is to basically counter the influence of Russia. I just don't right. see where it carries that out. Now, does that mean there shouldn't be a NATO alliance? Absolutely. And the existence of the NATO alliance is very, very important. And the interaction of the NATO, of the military commands in NATO, is really, really important. That's very important. You know, but I think they, I think they need to do a mission thinking, a mission analysis, mm-hmm. to think about what it is they're going to be doing going forward. Now, I mean, I think from the, what Biden has been saying in his campaign and what he's doing now is that multilateral arrangements like NATO and others are, in, you know, are getting emphasis from President Biden, and I think he's going to want to make, make NATO an important element of our foreign policy. But 
I think if you look at the world and where our trajectory is, the real threats to American power and American success is coming from Asia, from China. And that's mm-hmm. where that's where the main focus is going to be. And that's why it's a, I, think it's a, I think that's the tenor of uh, this phone call, a relationship that Biden has with Putin, which is keeping things very stable and very calm and not having any uh, situation to exacerbate that stability or calm because the main threat to the United States comes from Asia and it's important for us as Americans to link up with our allies, Japan, Australia, India, and the uh, countries and literal countries in the South China Sea to counter the Chinese expansionism and Chinese sharp power and interfering with academia, and not only in the United States and media, and, um, and uh, that's not only in the United States, it's also in Europe as well. Mm-hmm. So that's the big challenge, number one. If I would make my list of main challenges, domestic and foreign, to go back to what we're talking about, domestically we already said the pandemic, that there's nothing close to that, and, and right. the economy. And on the foreign side, the main problem and issue for the U.S. is coming from China. And so that means that the uh, foreign policy of the United States will not, to also reprise the point we talked about before, I don't believe that you know, uh, these kinds of regional or regional conflicts, I know Turkey obviously is a major world power, it's a major regional power, a major friend of the U.S., but in terms of focus of the U.S. foreign policy establishment, I think it's going to be calm seas ahead in focusing on China's influence in the world. Now, uh, you know, Russia is definitely not so far behind, and it's very, very important. But China is, is, is number one on that list uh, uh, with, with no exception. Russia may be close behind, but China is our main issue. So, therefore, I think that in order to have uh, smooth relations going forward, I think all the parties involved here need to have a good focus on how they keep things stable and calm and not to mm-hmm. promote any, uh, any difficulties. I mean, the Eastern Med, which we really didn't talk about, is a number of allies right. of the United States are involved in that issue and they're having talks. Greece, with friend of the United States, Turkey, obviously close NATO ally on Cyprus. Those are very important issues, but I don't see that where the United States is the mediator on those, it's, it's, it's not, I mean, that one hopefully does not blow up into a big conflagration or big problem. That mm-hmm. would be very problematic because right. America is in a tough time now and we've got to, you know, fix our, inter- our domestic and then focus on the expansion of China and not get involved in regional conflicts or regional issues and try to tamp those down. And that's why I think Biden wants to promote the Iran deal because I think he sees that as a potential and is a potential um, issue that could upset, you know, world stability. Um, right. I don't know if the Iran deal is a good idea or a bad idea, but, um, but, you know, they're trying to address that and also to keep the Middle East stable as well. So keeping stability everywhere and trying to address the immediate threats, I think, is the, uh, is the, is the focus. So I think Biden's policy, if I would sum it up, is, Make friends with your allies and counter your adversaries. And that's what I think, and have smooth times ahead with your allies, make friends with them, and counter your adversaries. And those adversaries principally would be China, of course, and Russia, and the others around the world, keeping things stable 
and moving along in a stable fashion. And maybe down the road it will be addressed. But at the present time, there is mm-hmm. these are the main issues that are going to get attention, I think. Certainly. Well, put very succinctly, thank you so much for your ability to kind of parse through some really difficult topics. Obviously, we have so much going on in the world, both you know, foreign and domestic, and with the change in administration, there's going to be so much to cover and, and focus in on in the coming weeks and months. Uh, so I look forward to future analysis. So thank you so much for joining us. Again, I want to remind our listeners that we can visit this podcast and more for our website at www.turkheritage.org to stay up to date with the latest events and everything else that our colleagues, board members, fellows, and more are participating in. So thank you so much, Dr. Mark Merowitz, and we'll be in touch soon. My pleasure. Thank you so much, Savannah, for the uh, privilege of doing this. Thank you. Take care.